0: Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, out loud, chapter by chapter, and we're in Mark chapter 9. We have crossed the threshold in Mark. We're already halfway through, and we saw that big turn there that really just we see again and again, there's just these moments where... These things happen, the feeding of the 5,000 followed by the feeding of the 4,000, the man who's, whose blindness is healed in two stages. There are these things that the Lord Jesus really did, but they have symbolic significance, spiritual significance. And today is certainly one of those that we've got. In Mark chapter 9, you have the transfiguration. You've got Moses on one side, Elijah on the other. This is an event that is meant to have just all kinds of meaning. What does it really mean though that Moses and Elijah are there in particular um you know like what 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 are they talking about what what's the what's the purpose what does that mean? You know the Lord then, as they're coming down the mountain, says some stuff about elijah what what is that getting at um, and then followed by that we have the healing of a boy with an unclean spirit and uh, some discussion between the Lord Jesus and the disciples. And so we've got a lot of good stuff today, a very, very full chapter, 50 verses. We'll have to go pretty quick. Joining us today, we've got Pastor Nabil Noor, pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota, also fourth vice president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Brother, welcome back. Always so good. Such a pleasure and honor, as always, to have you on.
1: Saint and brother in Christ, A.J., it is a delight to be with you today as we take the saints on a spiritual journey to go up to a high mountain and with eyes of faith behold the transfigured Christ before us, that he is no ordinary man, but he is the God-man who came to earth to bring about our own exodus and deliver us to the place he prepares for us.
0: Amen. Amen. It's yeah, it's certainly one of I think my favorite probably the favorite parts for a lot of people of the gospels and it it's a little bit different though in each one of these accounts and the one in Mark is um is is pretty interesting because of the the Elijah focus. So I'm looking forward to reading this together and reading it together with uh, the other Uh, miracles that we have in the other teaching, because it all all just comes all right together. You don't just get to stay up on the mountain, right? You come down, and the Lord has more to say.
1: (laughs) Indeed, indeed, indeed. That is correct.
0: Well, brother, like I said, so good, as always, to have you on. I I really appreciate your perspective and your application that you're always able to help us uh, to see and unpack would you, as we begin, start us off with a prayer for us, for everyone following along, and for our brothers and sisters around the world?
1: Absolutely. Good morning, dear saints. Uh, For my prayer, I decided to to use one of our hymns from LSB Transfiguration Mm -hmm. hymn with the title, "'Tis Good Lord to Be Here." I'm not going to sing because I'm not a good singer, but I'm going to read Verse 1, verse 2, and verse 5, and that will be the prayer for us. "'Tis good, Lord, to be here. Thy glory fills the night. Thy face and garments, like the sun, shine with unborrowed light. "'Tis good, Lord, to be here. Excuse me. "'Tis good, Lord, to be here. Thy beauty to behold, where Moses and Elijah stand, thy messengers of old.'" Is good Lord to be here, yet we may not remain, but since thou bids us leave the mountain, come with us to the plain. In the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Amen, amen. Thank you, brother. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, you know, those Transfiguration hymns, you don't get to sing them nearly enough, right? <laughs> uh, Only so, yeah. uh,
1: one time a year, just like um, <laughs> Trinity um, hymns, right. too. Uh, Let me just kind of, for the benefit of our uh, saints who are listening via the radio or um, their uh, Internet connection, let me just say this. Dr. Uh Louis Brighton, my spiritual father, as we took the Gospel of Mark, said, and I quote, "Uh, everything in the book of Mark focuses back to Chapter 9 and the Transfiguration. It is the central and the focal point of all of St. Mark, because he highlights his humanity and his divinity. Uh, In the catechism, we teach that God is totally man, and he's totally God, and we see this right here um, in its fullest glory for just a brief moment. And the transfiguration, A.J., is the gl- the glory of the transfiguration shows who this Christ is which points us to the glory of the cross which shows us the glory of the loving father you have so you have three different glories here trinitarian in essence hmm. the glory mm-hmm. of the transfiguration the glory of the cross and the glory of the loving father and you have the doxa, which is the Greek for glory, and you have the Chabod, which is Hebrew for glory. So mm-hmm. they are all intertwined for both the Old and the New Testament, joined together, and tells the story like no one else can do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, and it's uh, I like the way you broke it down just now about you know what it, what, what what exactly the uh, the perspective we have presented here on glory is, and I feel like it really answers what we saw. In the previous chapter, right, that you know they basically, in some respects, have an argument over glory, right? Um, and when you know, Peter confesses, you know, a, a glorious confession, right, that you are the Christ, uh, you know, the Lord follows it up with teaching of well, but my glory, as you were saying, you know, looks like taking up your cross and sacrificing your your own life. So I think that's a it's a very good way of putting it, and it really does um, in that way function together uh, with what we saw in chapter eight as that. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think that's right. Functions together as that hinge uh, for, the whole, for the whole book here. It
1: is. It really is. The more you study the book of Mark, you will see that emphatically, and it is helpful for us to learn that here, uh, Jesus, as he takes the threesome with him, the inner circle, he is literally taking the training wheels of the disciples and to give them wings to fly. Later on, After the resurrection and the ascension, both Peter and John tell us they were eyewitnesses of this event, and that spread the gospel to the ends of the earth.
0: Certainly, so you know, you know, it was uh, important for them as well. So let's go ahead. So let's go ahead then, and uh, if you'll if you'll uh, indulge me here, it is a longer chapter. I want to see if we can read just the entire thing straight through. Just we won't we won't stop. We'll just read the whole thing straight through, kinda of let it all You're kind do of
1: all of all of chapter nine at once time.
0: That's that's right. And then we can go back and we can okay. if we want to read over smaller portions as it. we go along, we can go we can for, do that. Go for, go for it. All right, thank you, brother. All right, let's start here. English standard version of Mark chapter nine from the top. And he said to them, Truly I say to you. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they had, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days... He will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. And Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So much going on in this chapter. And, uh, you know, we break it down, I think, uh, several ways. I think we we, we have kind of just one Sunday, we'll just do the transfiguration, uh, just the one for the healing of the boy with the unclean spirit. And then I think there's, we have like one for like the who is the greatest, and then one more for temptations to sin. So it's like it takes you a month, I think, in the lectionary to get through this. But uh, I I do think reading it together, you can see that there are some things that um, tie this together. It's interesting how it it seems like the healing that happens with the unclean spirit, this seems to be in some ways a further explanation on what the Lord was just teaching them about the meaning of the transfiguration, right? And even the boy, it's like he it looks like he he rises from the dead, right? And it's giving them a little bit of a picture here. I, I feel like everything that follows here is almost some kind of explanation about, hey, this is what I was trying to get at with that transfiguration.
1: Remember what I said when we were uh, getting together and my earliest comments that Jesus yep. is taking the training wheels off. And uh, one of the great blessings as a student of the Scripture, you see how the tapestry of the Scripture is all weave, that from front to finish, it centers and focuses on Christ himself. There's nothing by accident in the Scripture. Amen. people may not understand what is going on. And we find that out a little bit later when they say, why couldn't we do these things? And we'll get to it shortly. People may not understand it. And they question the authenticity of the scripture as well as the inerrancy of the scripture. And they say, oh, there's a mistake. No, if there's a mistake, it's in your head, not in the mm. scripture. The scripture mm. testifies to the truth. And everything that's written is always of utmost importance and we cannot overlook that always uh i was taught and of course i developed that on my own later on always read the context before you preach on a text and read Mm -hmm. afterwards so we always say context is king culture is queen and christ is center so uh, let's look at the opening verse of chapter 9. And he said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, uh, some will not... Um, you know. well, he's, he's telling them right there and there that the death and resurrection is going to take place. And some of these will see it. And most of them did, actually. We know mm-hmm. that for a fact. And even some of the 120 disciples of Jesus... And then he begins, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. What happened before those six days? If you mm-hmm. go to chapter 8, there's a healing going on. Right. And now you get into chapter 9, and towards the end of chapter 9, there's another healing going on. And right there in the middle, you have the transfiguration. And so context is really king, and it focuses on the centrality of that Um Text in the sense that is pointing to the most amazing thing that has ever happened in all of the universe, that God would deign to put on himself flesh and blood, the incarnation. And in this image, we see the great Exodus motif that is in the Old Testament connecting it to the New Testament. And if I may, with your permission, Brother mm. Abe, Let me just share some of the similarities between the book of Mark and the book of Exodus. So here we are. First, Jesus goes up on a high mountain, and then Moses ascends Sinai, another high mountain. Mm -hmm. Jesus takes only Peter, James, and John. Moses takes only Joshua, but later on he takes 70. Then... Jesus was transfigured on the mountain. Moses' face is shining like the sun that he has to cover it when he comes down from the mountain. Four, a cloud comes over the mountain. Cloud comes on the mountain in Exodus as well. And finally, five, uh, in Mark, God speaks from the cloud. In Exodus, God speaks in thunder. God descends in cloud and speaks. So we see the similarities. There's no accidents in the scripture, only incidents to magnify these snippets of what God is trying to convey to us. And as we look at this text, we see here after six days, Jesus takes the inner circle and they go up to the mountain there. And then the Greek word that is used for the transfigured is metamorphosis. Right. Okay. Which is that he has been changed in appearance. And interestingly enough, both the appearance and his garments are changed all at the same time. And that's the centrality of it. And what is really, excuse me, what is really important for us to understand, we are only getting a snippet in a snapshot, if I may. Mm -hmm. But even this snapshot that we see is dim because of our sin. Remember in Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah chapter 6, we are told that Isaiah saw part of the glory as the smoke filled the temple. Brief moment, these three men, Peter, James, and John, were able to see in a 4D vision who this rabbi from Nazareth is. And that is profound, because here we are not told, all we are told in Mark is they were speaking with one another, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, In verse uh, 4 in the Greek. All we are told, and I'm looking at the Greek here, that... um, moses well first it says and appearing to him elijah and moses appeared to him and they were speaking with jesus it's in the dative form and that's all we are told but we don't know what they are talking about until you go and visit saint luke chapter 9 and there we are talking about the exodus ironically it's the same word exodon which is of course his death and his resurrection so the centrality of the discussion of the transfiguration is the suffering, death, and resurrection, because after the resurrection, Jesus tells them that he's going to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die. They don't get it. He tells them in chapter 8, they don't get it. And finally, he needs to teach them something, and so he takes the wheels so on, gives them the wings to fly right. and be able to see what is really important right here.
0: Well, well, and clearly it is just a moment that's full of spiritual significance. And as you were saying, the Lord really needed to open their eyes to be able to to soar and to have that perspective. And you see that in Matthew and Luke, that there's just so much significance. It's like we really do need three different accounts of this because they're all bringing out those different things. You were mentioning, you know, Luke— is the one who actually uses the the word Exodus there, who's giving us that, that connection that that's what they're talking about. Um, it's in Matthew, and actually as I was listening to you, brother, bring out the connections between Exodus and, and Moses and uh, the Lord here in the Transfiguration, I, I think it's Matthew who brings out that connection, some of those connections anyway, the strongest. Um, you know, in Matthew it says, you know, he takes up um, Peter and James and John, his brother. So you got Explicitly reminding us, you have a pair of brothers who are being brought up, just as Nadab and Abihu, the brothers of Aaron the high priest, went up. Um, And Matthew also, uh, you've got just uh, the the wording um, from what this cloud actually says is just a little different. Kind of maybe uh, brings this out. And also, what's interesting to me is that in uh, Matthew and Mark, there's a little bit of a difference in comparison here. You've got When it says that these two figures appeared, um, in Matthew it says, and Moses appeared uh, with with Elijah, and in Mark it says, and Elijah appeared with Moses. That's correct. Yeah, so there seems to be like a little bit of a different emphasis here, and so uh, one of the things I'm wondering about now is, what might Mark kind of be getting at emphasizing Elijah in particular?
1: Well, before I answer that, if I may, and I don't know how much uh-huh. time before we have to break,
0: let uh, me say about this. M- one minute.
1: Uh, if, okay. If, if, if you and I saw an accident, from whatever position we were at, we're going to give an eyewitness report to what we have seen. Right. We have seen the same things, but we came at it from different perspectives. And remember, Mark is writing on behalf of Peter. Mm -hmm. Mark is a student of Peter, so he's telling Peter. So whether Peter saw Elijah first or not, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But there's an importance. And why do I want to highlight at least Elijah? And we will it about it when uh, they go down the mountain, Jesus explaining. What does the word Elijah mean in the Hebrew? Mm -hmm. Yahweh Eli. So Yahweh is my God. Mm -hmm. So when you think Elijah, and this is kind of the irony... It is to say God is here with us. And we have these two figures, the Old Testament uh, heavyweight, I call them, appearing. And they tell us that they came to speak. And to me, it is a time of exhortation to embolden and to strengthen the man, Jesus. As far as his divinity is concerned, he did not need those exaltations, but as far as a man is concerned, just like you and I, he felt pain and suffering, and he was thinking about all that why it lies ahead, and they encouraged him with their presence. And that is really profound for me, how good it is when brothers dwell together in unity, how good it is for you and for me as brothers in the ministry to be united, to speak the gospel in all of its uh, facets and to help people to see uh, the beauty of the gospel. I remember my first some class, that is a preaching class.
0: I think there well, were well, 22 brother, students— Well, I, I, I really, brother, I really want to hear this, um, this anecdote. We do okay. have, I'm getting told here by the studio we've got to take our break here, but maybe when we get back right you can break. tell us a little we'll bit about this. Uh, <laughs> everybody, hang on. We're looking at Mark chapter 9 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on
1: your corner. How important is the sacrament of the altar to the life of the Christian, especially to those who may be sick or homebound? Tuesday on Issues Etc.,
0: our series on Lutheran Catechesis continues with Pastor Peter Bender. We'll talk about the sacrament of the altar, pastoral care, and communion of the sick and the homebound. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. LCMS Disaster Response and Training provides guidance and counsel to congregations seeking to show mercy to their neighbors before, during, and after disasters. From congregation preparedness to equipping volunteers in our Lutheran Early Response Team training, we can help you engage your community, particularly those who are suffering in any way with the love of Christ. For more information, you can follow us on Facebook, keyword LCMS Disaster Response, or visit our website at lcms.org forward slash disaster. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Mark chapter 9, and uh, it's going to be hard to leave this first part of the chapter behind and look at the rest of the 50 verses in this really just packed chapter, but we're talking about the transfiguration, and uh, it's okay to spend a little bit of extra time on it. It is, as we were just saying with our guest, uh, really part of this center of the book of Mark here. It was set up in chapter 8, and here you have it, just the central event that's so key to understanding everything else. In the book here. Uh, We're joined today by Pastor Nabil Noor, pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota, also the fourth vice president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. If you've got a question for me or Pastor Noor, I know we've got some questions that just got sent in via email. Uh, You can send those in to us, kfuo at kfuo.org. We're going to turn to some of those questions in just a minute here. You can also give us a call. If you are listening live, great opportunity for it, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. So, oh, yes, and I don't want to neglect to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support of Thy Strong Word. LHFmissions.org is their website. So, yes, brother, I think you uh, were—we were kind of talking about the transfiguration, and we were talking about— Maybe what is Mark's emphasis on Elijah doing here? Um, you were right. connecting that, perhaps. Uh, you know, there's a question about Peter, but then you were going to make a connection. I think something an experience in a homiletics class. You were saying,
1: right? My first homiletical class I had, there were 22 students in it at that time, and the class uh, prof gave us one text, First Peter, chapter one, three through nine. 22 different students, 22 different titles, 22 different sermons. There were points similar, but the majority were different. And Mm -hmm. so as you look at the three accounts of Mark, Luke, and Matthew, you see the similarities, but you see the differences. And why is that? Because that's how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is not bound by time or space. He pinpoints that which is important. And remember, each of these books were written to a specific audience. And so, like, for example, for Matthew, he was quoting, he's the most quoted gospel writer of the Old Testament. He was Mm -hmm. writing to Jewish people, and he's connecting all of these things. And so when we have, in Mark, we have Elijah and Moses for so a couple of things I want to highlight. First, Elijah, of course, is the one who was did not see death, right? Right. He, along with Methuselah, both were uh, never saw death. Um, Enoch, excuse me. He and Enoch never saw death. Uh, they were taken up from earth. Now, we do know that Moses died and was buried by God, and yet here he is. So if ever right. anybody says there's no life after death— Dude, the wrong. Here we got a man who was <laughs> dead, but now he's appearing to visit with Jesus. And remember, right. that Moses also led the people out of the bondage of slavery, which is, of course, this is a typology with the great uh, event that Jesus will do through his death and resurrection. He will bring the eternal Exodus to bring to mankind from sin, devil and death. And so it's very comforting for us to know these two men uh, that came to uh, speak with um, Jesus, to help him on this mountaintop experience. And we all, all of us like to have mountaintop experience. You think the wedding day, the first child born, baptism, Uh confirmation, graduation, engagements, all of these are mountaintop experiences and yet, the Lord says, hey, it's time to go to work. So we got to get down to the plane. We can't stay on the mountain. Ultimately, we will be on the mountain with God in the new heaven and the new earth. But for right now, we are still here. And why are we still here? So that we can bear witness to what we have seen and heard. Even though we have not been on the mountain ourselves to see Him transfigured, but with eyes of faith, we have. Because we can still see this wonderful snippet and a snapshot of that which is to come. And one day, uh, Revelation chapter 5, we behold the Lamb that was slain in all of his glory, and he was in the temple, and there was no need for a light. And there we see him brighter than anything we can look at, brighter than the sun itself.
0: Amen, and really, I, I think that that's just a, a really great way of, of fleshing out just how um, natural it is that there would be these different accounts, and really how helpful it is that there are these different. Uh, I mean, not really diff- different accounts that in that they're substantially different. I mean, like every one of these, it's Moses and Elijah, right? It's not. It's not like there's one version that says it's a, uh, you know, like Moses and. Uh, Elisha or something like that no I mean so they're they're essentially the same on the big points but having these different perspectives and yeah and I think um you know there's a few things you can draw out I think with Elijah in particular you know Elijah also was one of the two people in scriptures who went up the mountain and, and saw God, right? He had the experience, uh, not necessarily of seeing him, but like talking with him. He had the voice, right? The quiet voice. Still, uh,
1: still quiet voice. Exactly. But actually, he did see the glory of God. Well, yes. 1 Kings 18, right? 1 Kings 18, when he challenged the 450 prophets... Well, yes. They doused, the, they, they doused the wood and the fire, excuse me, the wood and the stone... And then he called on God, and everything was gone. I mean, he talk about glory manifested sure. in truly really in a real presence. So Elijah saw it. Now, some, some uh, as the disciples were coming down, looking at Nine and following. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the disciples says, "Why did it say that Elijah needs to come?" and he says, "He already right. did. Here is the Son of Man in your presence. This is Elijah. Yahweh is my God. He's right here." And he's saying, and you go back to Mark 4, you also talk about Elijah has come already and time to repent. And so this really is opening the eyes of the disciples and giving them the glory to see who this rabbi, he's just no ordinary rabbi, he is the rabbi who has come to deliver and to redeem and bring salvation to all mankind." And next chapter, Amen. Mark ten forty-five, we are told, "...for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom."
0: Certainly, and I like the way you put it there, he's opening their eyes, because in the previous chapter we saw that there, there was the blind man who had to have the Lord Jesus put his hands on his eyes twice, right? The first time, well, he could kind of see a little bit. People looked like trees, but, you know, he could see shapes moving around. Uh, second time, okay, he can see clearly. And so similarly here, the Lord Jesus is, you know, in, in a kind of figurative sense, putting his hands on the eyes of their hearts to, to open their minds. And, and he's they're beginning to understand this. And I think this is why Elijah gets emphasized probably primarily. It's that Elijah, um, just as you were mentioning with uh, the episode on Mount Carmel, so a different mountain, than um, Sinai Hora, but uh, this in that case there, right? You, you see how Elijah, his ministry was one of confrontation, um, particularly with people who were really dead set against him. I mean, in uh, Ahab and Jezebel, right? I mean, and you had that he was persecuted. He was, you know, people were chasing after his life, and they, you know, they were kind of coming close um, in some respects, uh, though God mercifully didn't allow it to happen. So that kind of suffering and persecution, right? I think that that's maybe key here because the disciples, on on the, for their part anyway, they're kind of with everybody else at the time, and they're expecting when when Elijah shows up. This is going back to that prophecy in Malachi. They're expecting everything to be you know hunky dory and everything's going to be great. Um, but the Lord Jesus is saying, "Hey, wait, guys! Actually, remember the story of how Elijah actually went? It was full of suffering. Yeah." Um, that's how it is. And so don't be surprised when I tell you that John the Baptist was Elijah, um, and that I also am going to suffer like Elijah did. And in fact, what's interesting in verse 12 is he says, you know, Elijah, and he uses the present tense, right? Um, You know, does come first. And so in in a sense, I I think he's kind of saying— yeah, and there's still going to be some Elijah restoration-type stuff that's still going to happen even, um, but it's not going to happen apart from suffering. And so I, I think you see that, wh- whether it's in the, the the story of Elijah that we have in the Old Testament, and the life and ministry of John the Baptist, of our Lord Jesus, or even looking ahead to the destruction of the temple um, and the and all the events of God and his judgment and restoration and mercy there, uh, not apart from suffering and uh You got another comment in verse 19 about this faithless generation. So on either side of this transfiguration story, again, looking at that 40 years, looking at that generation. So yeah, I think it's pointing ahead to everything like you were saying, brother, the Lord's own passion, the Lord's own resurrection and ascension, and then the events that would happen not even 40 years later.
1: If I may ask you, how long have you been a pastor, AJ?
0: About five years five
1: years. And I'm sure if you were to go back in time, I don't want to take a lot of time, but I'll make it quick here for time but benefits. If you uh, remember reading some of the scriptures five years ago, and you read them now, and all of a sudden the lights come on, right?
0: Oh, yeah, certainly.
1: <laughs> okay. And you say, how come I didn't see it before? Oh, yeah. I don't think you are spiritually mature enough to see it or to grasp it. And I think this is kind of what's happening with the disciple. The three-year seminary training that Jesus took them on, and especially in this course that he took them on the Transfiguration to see his Daxa and uh, Chochva, to show them who really is. This was just a Bible study. That's all it is. Yeah. A Bible study on the mountain, man. Yeah. They were studying the Scripture, and here he comes, and he says, hey, don't tell anybody. And then later on, after the death yeah. and resurrection, he says, oh, yes, now I get mm-hmm.
0: it. amen. I think you're absolutely right. None of of this—and we always give the disciples a hard time when we say, like, oh, they weren't very bright, or oh, they they were dense—but no one, no one, no one understood what any of this meant. I really grasped it, like you were saying, really had the light bulb come on until the resurrection. Once you had that, once the Lord opened up our minds, right, in, in what he did there on Easter, then you could look back on this and, and can say, oh, okay, right? Uh, but but not until then. That was the second moment where he touched them, right, and uh, opened up their minds. I want to turn to a couple questions we got over uh, email now. While well, we still have a little bit of time here. Um, so here's, let me, I think it may be at at this point here, uh, this would be a good one to, to ask about right here. So, uh, on on this, uh, account, we have Peter saying here, Master, it's good for us to be here. Uh, lots of people have asked about what Peter said. Um, also, you know, the bit about, you know, the, 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 tense, but this, um, this reader, uh or uh, this question here is particularly about when he's saying it's good for us to be here what what is what is peter saying what is what does he think is the significance of them being up there well
1: uh, how many of us like to stay on the top of the mountain when things are going well sure Okay, It's a mountaintop experience and hardly anybody wants to come down to the plane and deal with the reality. So Peter is saying, Lord, it's good to be here. He wants to stay on the mountain and to behold this great event. He would love to be there and continue to listen to Moses and Elijah speaking with Jesus. But Jesus says, hey, it's time to go down because there's more to do. I mean, in reality... The mountaintop experience are the power and the fuel for our lives to remind us there's something greater than we are. It doesn't all depend on me, but it depends on the grace of God. And when we go down to the mountain, we will be in the battle zone like Elijah was with Ahab right. and Jezebel. And that reminds us that even in these things, God is shaping and molding me to be his martyrian or his witness. And this is really important and we cannot forget that.
0: That That's well said. And I think, you know, the story of Moses where, you know, they, they did have a time where they were up on the mountain in and waiting. And in fact, uh, <laughs> Moses was up there on the mountain, I think, 40 days even, uh, waiting to so receive way. the Ten Commandments. And so you know, in that respect, you know, maybe Peter's thinking to himself, "Hey, yeah, we're going to be up here for a long time. You know, we we gotta we gotta prepare ourselves to to, as you were saying, experience this glory of God." But I think uh, the Lord Jesus is kind of, well, actually, it's the voice <laughs> that redirects Peter and says, "No, no, no. Think about the other story in the Old Testament, the one with Elijah, right? Where what is what does the voice say to Elijah? Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah?" <laughs> right. The, the voice up when the, the, he hears is saying, what you doing up here? Go back down. There's work to be done. Like you were saying, brother, you know, you, you got to go deal with Ahab and Jezebel. So, uh, yeah, I, I think there's a redirect in, in in that. The voice is saying like, no, 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 you're not going to be up here for 40 days and 40 nights. It, you got to go down and it's time to do battle with the with the forces um, that are opposed to God, and I think that's it's, it's actually kind of amazing because what do you see? They go down the mountain, and yeah, there's an unclean spirit, and that's what they got to deal with uh, right then and there because the disciples down there can't—they're uh, actually they're failing at casting it out.
1: Well, it is very true. And again, remember what I said in the centrality of it before chapter eight we have one healing and we have another healing. And really? this is kind of reminding me also of Jesus' own ministry, if you remember, Jesus' ministry started with 40 days in the wilderness, right?
0: Yes, right. And
1: after his resurrection, he had another 40 days on earth. And right down in the middle is the story of his suffering, death, and resurrection. So it, it comes back to this. And in mm-hmm. this here, we see the healing of the boy of the unclean spirits, And the disciples don't get it in the sense that they really need to know that it is done by faith, not by man. At this moment, they are looking to themselves. But in here, they don't get it because they haven't really sought the source and power of God. And so it is important for us to remember that, when Jesus comes down from the mountain and he comes to this place to bring about the healing, and then he said, well, "Well, why couldn't we do it?" And um, they couldn't do it because they didn't have the strength that God has given to them by faith to believe that He is. They were looking for their own power. And what what I love about this story is when the Lord talks to um, the father of the young man, and Jesus said to him, this is verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Yeah, and see, that's... We, need the, we need the gift of the Spirit right to help us believe because even faith is a gift from god
0: a- amen and and that's why he said right back in the the parable of the sower right that it's all it's all about the word it's all about the word apart from the word you can't do anything and it, it's like the the one grower the farmer right who says you know he he plants it and and then it starts growing and he doesn't even know how it grows he doesn't know how it works it just it just happens right um it's the same sort of thing it's just this automatic uh, response uh, that the earth has you know, to, what, to this word
1: what i often uh, emphasize to my saints we have a childlike faith we take it at full value and i mm-hmm. make the distinction between childlike faith and childish faith yes childlike faith you take it at god's full value Okay, if I tell my grandson to come over to jump, that I can hold him, he's not gonna say, "Oh, you're not gonna be strong enough to do it." He's gonna jump, or mm-hmm. she's gonna jump. But to be childish, they say, "Oh, forget it. That's not possible." And this is kind of what the man is praying for.
0: R- yes, and so so much has been um, you know made uh, of this of this statement, and I feel like especially because we can relate to it so much. And I think this is one of the other questions here um, that came up. You you see this, you know, because it's interesting because his initial response or his initial um, question, right, he phrases it like, you know, if you can, right, or, you know, if it's possible, right? Um, So, and I think that's where, you know, he gets redirected. And so this question we had over email says here, uh, you know, pastor, I believe, uh, please, what practice will help me with my rationalizations about miracles and bring me spiritual peace in my understanding? So I, I think that this is a, let me, this is let a question me, sounds let, like let it's struggling decision. with don't, miracles, don't, supernatural.
1: Don't uh, rely on, on your own reason. Reason does not do justice. Reason can end up being treason because if you can't understand it, you won't believe it. Um, One of the acronyms I use for the word faith is this. Faith stands for fantastic adventure in trusting him. I take Mm -hmm. God at his full value. If I'm going to rationalize, that is a deep, turbulent water. You don't want to go down there. Because then you are thinking of what is possible as far as uh, speaking these things or understanding it by what you are trying to reason. It's impossible to reason the scripture. Those things are impossible. You believe by faith. In time, you will grow in that faith and you will see the fruit of that faith, but it's not dependent on how you rationalize because reason can deceive you. Today, you may be on a mountain and things seems to be really clear to you But when you come down to the valley and the pain and the pandemic and the perils and the problems of the world all come upon you, then all of a sudden nothing is clear. So what do you hold on to your own rationality or the grace of God manifested through his son?
0: Amen. Yeah, I think you're, you're you're right there, and I really appreciate actually the acronym. I'm not sure I've heard that before. Fantastic adventure, trusting Him. Um, that, yeah, I mean, of course, that's not to say we, you know, abandon rationality or reason. But it reminds me of my interaction recently with my daughter Ellie. You know, just at this really fantastic, you know, three and a half year old age, her 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 question uh, is is why right now, and uh, why why why, uh, or you know, in Spanish, por qué por qué but por qué? And um, por qué, she Papa? just, she, por qué, Papa? yeah, exactly, exactly. And she just, she keeps going, and it's, and it's of course beautiful because I get to explain this stuff to her, and she just, she just eats it up, right? And so I'm, I'm teaching her about whatever it is, you know, uh, you know, nutrition or the water cycle, or you know, she's just like, oh, and you, it's so great to see the light bulb. But it's interesting because there are those times when I tell her to do something, and she said, por qué why and um and, and sometimes i'll go ahead and explain because to help her understand but sometimes it just kind of leads into a string of like well but why but why but why and i have to, at a certain point tell her ellie do what papa says i can tell you why later and and, and that, that cool. really Very just like you were saying say. it, it's, it's 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 uh that's how it's gotta be with God, right? I mean he can he can tell us some things and help us use our reason to kinda understand some things. But at the end of the day, uh we just have to trust what he says and um there's really no other way around it.
1: Let's continue with that. Let me just kinda take the helm here and just go unless you have other questions that's been brought up. In you verse go for thirty it. and following, he specifically highlights the suffering, death, and resurrection. And this is kind of what I shared when we opened the uh, um, chapter uh-huh. in my discussion and in the introduction. And then in 33 and following, he comes to Capernaum, and I really want to highlight this Hebrew word, Kfar the village of mercy, and everything flows from this village of mercy, and it is espoused by Jesus to the disciple. And what do we have here? The argument, which is still going on today, who is the greatest? That's, that's the big uh, issue here. And boy, how often does it really uh, matter? You know, like somebody says, well, Pastor Noor, you are the fourth president. Don't you want to be the second vice president? <laughs> or don't you want to be the first? No, it doesn't make a difference. What we are doing is being servants of the Most High God. God chooses where he wants us to serve. Remember this, too. AJ, that Mm. if God can speak speak through a donkey, okay, hello,
0: he can speak
1: through me, all right? So it isn't about me. It is how God gives you these gifts for his glory. My ultimate goal is to point others to see the saving grace of Jesus being manifested both in word and deed. And I pray to God frequently, Lord, help me To be very clear, even before I came online uh, with you, I was praying, Dear Jesus, anoint my lips that I would speak with clarity without confusing anyone. And here you see this, who is the greatest, and what does Jesus do? He takes a little bit, like your daughter Ella, puts her on his lap and says, If you believe like this uh, little child, like you said uh, a moment ago, just believe me to what I said, explain to you later, that should have been sufficient. And here what we have is the Lord talking to them about that childlike faith. Trust me in this. I know what I'm telling you. And later on, you will see the difference. And uh, a a good way to connect with this portion is uh, Acts chapter 4. Remember, the disciples were taken in specifically James, excuse me, John and Peter, and they were beaten up. And they get out of there and they say they considered themselves worthy to be beaten so that they can speak the joy
0: about Jesus. Amen. Well, just about one and minute if here. Could you...
1: happened, if this would have happened to them prior to this, they would have never said That's that.
0: That's right. That's right. Because
1: they were not quite ready.
0: With just about uh, just one minute left here, could you speak a little bit to that last section here that concludes with uh, the the salting with fire and all the rest there?
1: Well, you know, I grew up uh, by the beach, and there was uh, one particular beach where we would go into, just kind of not very far from Caesarea, Caesarea, actually, by the sea where we swam. When we came out, we were literally white covered, just like you are in the Dead Sea, not to the same (laughs) extent. But what is the benefit of salt? Salt is preservative, and salt is um, uh, seasoning, flavoring, right? So if that salt is not good, you can't use it for anything. It's to be thrown away. So in this portion of the Scripture, the Lord says, you are the salt, and you can connect that to Matthew 5.13. You are the light, and you are the salt. Well, the Lord calls us to be salt shakers. But in order for us to be salt shakers, we cannot be salt by ourselves. He needs to fill us with the great seasoning of the salt to be his servants, proclaiming the good news to the world. And the only way we can do that is when we are ourselves being seasoned by him who gives Amen. us his gospel and his means of grace.
0: Amen. Brothers, so much. Always a pleasure having you on. God's peace to you and bless your Easter time. Everybody, that was Pastor Nabil Noor, pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota, also fourth vice president of the LCMS. Moving on to Mark chapter 10. These chapters are awesome. Until then, Pastor A. G. Espinosa, peace. The of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this
1: program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at KFUO.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.